0: Thank you, Miss Debbie. Living in the South brings a lot of um, different traditions. Traditions, rituals, whatever you want to call them. Homecoming is one of those things that has uh, had roots for a long time in the South. A long time ago, homecoming meant when everybody come back home for their to their home church to celebrate a meal together, to celebrate what God had done, but also... To celebrate the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the main purpose of why we're here today. We're here to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior. But there's a lot of other things that come with the South too. If you grew up in the South, you probably heard an expression many times when you were growing up don't ruin your supper. My mom used to tell me this on a daily basis. I would come home from school, come home from practice or whatever, and I would absolutely raid the cabinets. There wasn't a cabinet that was safe in my home. If it, was, if it had anything that resembled food, I ate it. Most of y'all know how that is. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 if you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bible. When Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he is trying to correct them on many things that are going on. And one of the things that he is trying to correct them on is the way they handle the Lord's Supper. And in Paul's own ways, he tells the Corinthians, don't ruin your supper. Paul was speaking, of course, of the Lord's Supper, but at the same time, it was something that the Corinthians had absolutely ruined. Now, in the day of the early church, we have to understand something. The Lord's Supper was observed very differently from the way we observe it today. The the way they observed the Lord's Supper is what many people called a love feast. They would come together, they would bring food, they would have a time of worship, and then they would have a time to where they would acknowledge the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by partaking in the Lord's Supper. In a lot of ways it looks similar to what we observe today with homecoming. It looked very similar to it. And there's many people today who will say that, you know, this variation of how they did the Lord's Supper, it's not right. It's not how we observe it. But I don't know how to break your heart, but if you look back at Jesus' Lord's Supper, it constituted more than just an unflavored Cheese It and a shot glass of juice. The Lord's Supper has nothing to do with what is partake, but it has everything to do while we are partaking it. We are identifying with the body that was broke for us. We are identifying with the blood that was spilt for us. And when Jesus was doing this for for the disciples, they had no understanding of what was really going on. But as through Paul's teachings and others, we've learned much about what was constituted in the Lord's Supper. See, the problem that Corinthians had with the Lord's Supper was not the way they observed it. That wasn't the problem at all. Year after year after year, things change. Methods can always change. That's one thing the church needs to really learn. A method can change. The message can never change. Methods will change from year to year, from generation to generation. But the message of what we're celebrating must never change. And when it comes to what the problem that Paul had with them, with their Lord's Supper, like I said, it had nothing to do with the method, but it had everything to do with their intent. And if you will, follow along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're only going to read verses 17 through 22 right now. We're going to dig into it a little bit, and then we ourselves are going to take communion the way we are supposed to. Not by how we do it, but what's in here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, he starts off by saying this, But in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Wow, that's a good way to start off a sermon, isn't it? Because you come together, not for the better, but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together... As a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be fractions among you, so that those who are approved, or those who are real, may be evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and another is drunk. Definitely don't sound like any Lord's Supper I've been a part of. What do you, what do you not have houses in which to eat? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What I shall say to you, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. Pray with me. Father, there's many times in our life that I think we forget that our worship isn't about how we do things. Our worship isn't about the works of our hands, but our true worship is centered in our heart. Places that are not always evident, Lord, to us, but places that are very evident to you. So today, Lord, as we go through this scripture and we look and see what the issue that the Corinthians had with the Lord's Supper is, I pray that we would be examining ourselves as well, Lord, to make sure that there's none of these issues that we have going on in our heart as well. Father, these issues that we have, what is amazing to me, Lord, is often they're not so obvious to us, but they're very obvious to the people who are around us. Father, today we come before you. And the only way that we can come before you is what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate that blood that was spilt for us to give us forgiveness of sin. We celebrate that body that was broken for us, the most selfless, act of love Lord that's ever been betrayed and Father I pray that you would help us to remember as we partake in this coming together that it's all about you it has nothing to do with us it is all about what you have done Father give us eyes to see give us ears to hear and give us a heart and mind to understand what your word has for us this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And Paul's writing in these few verses, you can tell he's, he's, he's pretty aggravated. He's pretty aggravated because something that is supposed to mean a lot to believers has become something that means absolutely nothing at all. These love feasts, as they called them, had actually become more of a party. They started off with the true intent of coming together for fellowship, for encouragement, and for honoring and remembering what Jesus had done for them. But some things had gotten in the way. Some things started getting in the way. And if we're not careful, these same things can get in the way of our worship as well. The first thing that got in their way, he makes it obvious there. He talks about the division, the division that is among us. What's funny today is it's very easy for us to be divided. There are so many things to, for us to follow. There are so many things for us to adhere to that being divided is not a hard task at all. Matter of fact, if you go into a room with any group of Baptists where one or more Baptists are gathered, there'll be at least three opinions and four assumptions. It's very dangerous. But when we come together... We come together, we walk through those doors as many different people from many different walks of life. Some of you are from the south, some of you are from the north. Some of you are from the United States. Some of you were born in another country. Some of you have views on politics. Well, everybody has a view on politics. That's stupid. But some of you have differing views on politics. Some of you have differing views on ways we should live our life. As you can see, it's easy for us to be divided. Some of you have different college teams, different professional teams, different baseball teams. So how is it that we are as such divided people to come together as a unified group of individuals? There's many things that separate us. But there is one thing and one thing only that can unify us. When I was reading Paul's stern scolding of the Corinthians. I had a picture pop up in my mind and it's a picture that I haven't seen in a while. Some of you have seen this picture in a while. But the picture was that of a middle school lunchroom. How many of y'all remember the middle school lunchroom? Y'all remember all the tables set up? There was certain tables that you sit at and certain tables that you didn't sit at. There were certain tables for the cool kids. There were certain tables for the jocks. There were certain tables for the nerds. There were certain tables for the skaters or punkers, whatever you want to call them. Then there was also a table. A table where what most considered the nobodies hung out. Unfortunately, for many years in my life, I lived as a nobody. Y'all, most of y'all probably had a situation in your life where you lived as a nobody. Nobody recognized you. Nobody acknowledged you. Nobody even considered you. And unfortunately, during the times of the Corinthians, this is exactly what happened. There was a group of elitists. There was a group of a hierarchy in that church who had made the Lord's Supper, or this love feast, all about them. And in doing that, they have started causing these divisions. These divisions in the body that made it hard for them to come together. There was the group of the Zealots. The Zealots were the ones who were extremely passionate, extremely passionate about a lot of their older traditions. But there were also then the more moderates in that time. The more moderates were the ones who viewed the things of their past. And you've got to understand, some of these are Jewish people. They had traditions. They had loads of traditions. But the moderates would come in, and they would try to be the mediators in the middle. They would hold to the old ways, the old feast and everything else. But they also tried their best to embrace this new covenant that was being established, that is established in this supper. But then there were the progressives. The progressives were the ones who wanted to do away with everything of the old and hold to nothing but the new. In a church today, in any church you go to today, you will find these three groups of people. You will find the people who have been in a church all of their life. And they want that church to stay exactly how they remember it. They don't want anything to change. They don't want anything to be hindered And a lot of times, they don't want anybody from the outside to come in and change it. It's dangerous. That's dangerous. Because a church that is supposed to be accepting of everybody has held stronger to its tradition than it has to what God has done for us. Then you've got the people who come to try to be in the middle. I'm more of a moderate. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm more of a moderate. Yes, I grew up in this church. I grew up in this church. Wasn't long after I was born, mom drugged me here. Where I, seriously, she did. Where I am standing right now, I think it's humorous because I know a lot of the history of the church. Where I am standing right now is where the outhouse of the old church used to stand. (laughs) I spent a lot of time out at the outhouse, not using the bathroom But having my backside tended to, if you know what I mean. So I know where we've been. I know what we've come to, and there's a lot of things that I want to hold to as well. But there's also the things here that I know that are more important than our traditions, than our past, than our legacies. All of us are scared of the progressives because the progressives want to come in and change everything. And even today, progressives has brought in a negative mindset. When we think of the world word progressive, a lot of us think of another term that has completely been perverted as well. But these progressives have a heart. They have a heart for the word of God to be spread. Throughout all of the world. And they're not willing to let anything stand in the way to making this Word of God go from here to the uttermost parts of the earth. So let me ask you a question Who's wrong? No one. No one. No one's wrong. Everyone has their views, everyone has their opinions. But these opinions hold nothing to what the Word of God has for us. And in the Word of God, and especially in Ephesians 4, Paul wanted to make it very clear that we should not allow anything in our life to divide us. And he says in Ephesians 4, "...to make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. For for there is one body, one Spirit." Just as you have been called to one glorious hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Father of all, over all, in all, and living through all. But it's easy for us to be divided. It's easy for us to be divided. Because a lot of times we major in a lot of the minor things of life. The Lord's Supper... It's focusing on the most major, pivotal point in our life. It's focusing on the body that was broke for us. It's focusing on the blood that was spilt for us. And here in a few minutes, when we come to these tables to partake of these elements, that's the only thing that should be at the forefront of our mind. Jesus said, you do these things and you do these things in remembrance of me. The most important part of the Lord's Supper is unity. And God's church is supposed to be a symbol of a unified people coming together to worship one God in one spirit with one truth. I pray we never get as divided as the Corinthians. So how did they get so divided? How did they get in such small groups? Well, one reason is there was a lot of self-deception. There was a lot of self-deception. There was those group of people who some thought they were the elitist and they looked on everybody else as not so holy. Y'all know anybody like that? Y'all know anybody who is a holier-than-thou individual I mean, just being in their presence makes you feel like you're like you're a baby Christian. You don't even want to have a conversation with these individuals because they talk so high that you would have to jump on a 747 to even begin to get their interpretation of what they're saying. But what's funny to me is no matter how holy we think an individual is or how good of a communicator an individual is or how smart an individual is, they still had to have the same atonement for their self that I've had to have for mine. They still needed Jesus's body. They still needed Jesus's blood. The same thing that paid the sin debt for me is the same thing that paid the sin debt for all. We forget this. We forget this. We forget that every drop of blood that was spilt from Jesus' body was meant for this world. We forget that when His body was crushed, when His body was beaten, when His body was torn apart, it was done for all of us. So to think, to even think that we're elitist, or we've got ourselves together, it's kind, of, it's kind of foolish, isn't it? Because if we had ourselves together, if we had all of our garbage tidied up, then we wouldn't need Jesus at all. Paul went on to say, in Galatians, He said, For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And then jumping on down a few more verses, he said, Do not be deceived, because God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows of his own flesh, or by what he's doing, will also reap of his flesh corruption. But those who sow of the Spirit will will reap eternal life. I want you to look around. Look around. Go ahead, it's all right. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look behind you. Look in front of you. Look underneath you. I don't know, there may be somebody hiding (laughs) under there. No one, no one in this room will be allowed to enter heaven without Jesus. No one in this room will be allowed to enter without that spilt blood and that broken body. I don't care what you do. I don't care how often you come. I don't care how much you give. I don't care how many mission trips you go on. I don't care how many babies' diapers you change. I don't care how many Sunday school lessons you do. I don't care how many sermons you preach or how many meals you provide for people. There is nothing that you can do to make yourself right with a perfect, righteous, holy God. We have to have help. And unfortunately, the Corinthians did not realize this. Unfortunately, well, they realized it, but they had forgot it. They had forgot it. They had thought that they were the top-level Christians. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. There's not a top-level Christian. There's not a top-level Christian. There are broken, deprived, corrupt individuals that are in completely need of Jesus every day. And none of us are good. None of us are good. I don't care how many songs we sing. I don't care how many times we pray. All of us are still in need of what Jesus done for us. Let us never, never forget that. In our mindset of us thinking that we're perfect, we do nothing to do what Paul warned here we mark God. In taking this cup, you express that need of that spilt blood for the forgiveness of your sins. So first there was the division. Then there was the deception. But there was one more thing that come in that really ruined the supper for the Corinthians. And this is something that all of us see pretty prevalent today. How many of you know a selfish person? How many of you is that selfish person? There you go. Yeah, now we're getting real. That was confession time if y'all didn't know it. The rest of y'all, y'all can do it in a minute. It's all right. But the Corinthians had forgot one key aspect, that this supper, no matter how they did it, the love feast, if they took a cracker, if they took some juice, no matter how they did it, they had forgot this one thing. This isn't about you. This isn't about you. And this is hard for us today because I love how words pop up at different times, but one word that's come to my mind a lot over the last couple of years is narcissistic. Narcissistic. Do you know what narcissistic is? Narcissistic is when everything is about you and you belittle everybody below you. Narcissism is prevalent. You don't believe me? Get in Facebook. Facebook is nothing but a breeding ground to equip people to be more narcissistic. You put a keyboard in front of somebody, they get really brave. You come face to face with somebody, they shut their lip. You ever notice that? But we have been training ourselves to be even more critical, even more thoughtless of others. And brothers and sisters, we've come to a point to where we do think everything is about us. We think everything that happens in this life is about us. We read a comment. We read a blog we instantly get offended and we instantly start throwing a defense. Narcissism is nothing more than selfish, egotistical thinking. The Corinthians had become very narcissistic. They went out. They had this big spread, this big spread in front of them. And the elitist being who they were, they would go first. And when they would go first, they would honestly hoard their bowls, baskets, whatever they had, absolutely full. And not even consider leaving a crumb for those behind them. A lot of times, the elitist were the only ones that ate in these love feasts. The poor that had come, they were left out. The less marginal Christians, they were left out. The people on the waysides, they were left out. And they had forgot something that even the church today has forgot as well. They forgot that the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself. Nothing we do is about us. Everything that we do in our Interpretation of God's word is supposed to be about God and others. God and others. The arrows are never supposed to be pointed at us. But they had allowed this to take place. And you know, here's the funny thing. Like I said before, selfishness is something that is hard for us to see in ourselves. A selfish individual never realizes they're selfish, do they? No. No, they don't think they're selfish but it's very easy for people to see how selfish we are. When's the last time somebody pointed out to you that you were selfish? When's the last time you looked in a mirror and just asked yourself, God, am I selfish? God, do I make everything about me, God? Do I focus more on myself than I focus on others? What's bad is it's going to get worse. Second Timothy verses three through five, uh, chapter three one through five says this. But understand this. That in the last days, there will, be no, there will be difficult times. People will become even more so lovers of themselves, lovers of money, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, disple- unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not, having loving, not loving what is good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, in conceit, and having the appearance of godliness you hear that they've got all of these things but they have the appearance of godliness but they deny its power the last person to know that they are selfish is the one who is selfish it's not something we can see it's something we're blinded to and our mindset of always thinking about us, sometimes we forget that there's others around us. And sometimes, even as a church, a church can even be seen as so selfish that the community wants nothing to be with them. In the breaking of Jesus' body, we see the most selfless act of love that could ever be given to us. You ever thought about this? What benefit did Jesus get out of the cross? Don't you think about that for a minute. What benefit did Jesus get out of the cross? Did it help him? No. Did it esteem him? Absolutely not. Did it elevate him? Yeah, in a vertical stance, but not in a society stance. The cross brought nothing but shame, ridicule, pain, and hurt to Jesus. Because the cross, Jesus knew it wasn't about him. It was about you. It was about us. And that's what we're here today to remember. Paul makes one very bold statement that I do want to reread. In verse 22, he makes this statement. He says, What? Do you not have houses in which to eat or to drink. They have become so blinded to what they were doing in their love feast that honestly what Paul is saying is it would be better for you to stay at home than to meet as a group. Wow. That's harsh. Then he says, or do you not, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have Nothing when we come together to partake in this, the only reason we're doing it is because of what Jesus done for us. It's nothing about us. It will never be anything about us. It's all about Him. And the only reason we come together and partake of this is because He made this sacrifice for us. And the church is an assembly of God's people. Ecclesia. Called out people, people who have made Jesus Lord, master of their life. It's unlike any other group of people because it's a group of people that come from different backgrounds. It's a group of people that have different views. It's a group of people that look different, smell different, act different, talk different, but they all come together under one banner. This group of people is very diverse. It's rich, it's poor, it's Jew, it's Gentile, it's upper class, lower class, adult, child, free, enslaved, educated, uneducated, male, female. It's from here, ain't from here. It's north, it's south, it's east, it's west. It is the most diverse group of individuals that you will ever see in your life who come together, under the name of Jesus Christ the church is something that i never want to bring shame to Amen. the church is god's vehicle for getting the gospel to every part of the world the church is what god has chose in his sovereign goodness To be his mouthpiece. It's not something to be despised. It's not something to talk about. And like I told some of y'all a long time ago, some of you men, you don't like it. When other guys talk about your girlfriend or your wife, I'm pretty sure Jesus don't like it when you talk about his either. We are his bride. We are his people. And today, we gather to remember what he's done for us. Everybody, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. There isn't a person that walked through this door this morning that is perfect. There isn't a person that walked through those doors that doesn't have a need for the gospel every day of their life. Maybe this morning, some of you, for the first time, that you've realized you need Jesus. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity here in a minute. I'm gonna give everybody an opportunity in a minute to examine yourself to really think about what we are partaking in here today because this is more than just a bunch of people coming together this is more than just a service this is his people remembering those straps down his back this is his people remembering that cross that he bore. This is his people remembering that crown of thorns that was drove on his head. This is his people remembering those nails that pierced his hands and his feet. This is his people remembering that spear that was jabbed in his side. This is his people remembering that he died for them. During this time as Debbie plays, we're gonna take a minute just to be silent. If you have never professed Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior, I'm gonna be right down here. I invite you Come talk to me and allow me to explain to you how much Jesus loves you. For the rest of us, I ask that you examine yourself and I ask that you ask these three questions actually, four questions. Is there divisions? Is there divisions in my life? Is there self-deception that I have about myself? Is there selfishness that I have not dealt with? Have I, at any point in my life, not held the church and the sanctity of how God created it? This morning, if any of those exist in your life, I'm asking you to repent before you partake we're going to read some scripture here in a minute about how many people partook in this this ordinance in an unworthy manner and those four things were the unworthy manner that Paul was talking about and this morning if you have any of those in you I beg you repent repent Take this time to search yourself. And I'll close this time out in prayer. Father, anything that you command us to do is something that we should take very serious. You've commanded us to go and make disciples. You've commanded us to be baptized. But you've also commanded us to do this in remembrance of you. And Father, today we remember the blood that was shed for us, the body that was broke for us, and our desperate need for the gospel every day. Today, Lord, we remember that without you we are nothing. But with you we have everything we'll ever need. Thank you, Lord, for being so good and gracious to us. As we partake of these elements, Lord, help us to reflect on just how good you have been. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here. And I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in his glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning, and all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue to help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you, because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.